0: I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is another installment of Combo by Design Presents West Edge Wednesday. A look back at all of the incredible programming from the 2023 edition of the West Edge Design Fair held at the Barker Hangar in Santa Monica, California. So these conversations were held on a stage designed by Marbe Designs and presented by BR Home. This is the third installment called Back to Work From Home, a look at what it means to design meaningful workspaces that make employees actually wanna come back to the office. It's not easy shedding your comfy pants and slippers to match your work attire top. So what goes into designing, crafting, and executing on a workspace from which workers can thrive? These are just a few of the topics uh, addressed by this uber-talented group of creatives. This panel was presented by the IIDA and was moderated by the IIDA's own Cheryl Durst and features Scott Scott Parker of Studio 111, Bjorn Schrader of uh, Abramson Architects, Ashley Richardson of EYRC Architects, Bill Boucher of Gensler, and Sarah Devine of Revel. Thank you. To Convo by Design partners and sponsors, Thermosol, Moya Living, and Design Hardware for making the podcast possible. And thank you for listening and watching these episodes or listening to these episodes of the show. For links to all our partners, uh, guests on the episode, West Edge Design Fair, Mar Bay, Be Our Home, please check the podcast show notes for links. And you can find that at ConvoByDesign.com and click the podcast tab. Podcast tab. Thanks for watching and listening. Here's Cheryl Durst.
1: Thank you, Josh. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, so we're we're on an active runway, and there's a bar behind us. And um, you know, I'm trying to think of one more noisy thing that could possibly happen. But we are we are going to chat about working from home and working from work and every space in between. I am so honored to be joined by a panel of design experts. And so to my immediate left, is that right? My immediate left um, is Bill Boucher with Gensler. He's also a member of my International Board of Directors at IIDA. Sarah Devine with Revel, oh. Sarah is um, a reveler with Revel Architecture, and she is also the president-elect of IIDA Southern California. I have my friend, Bjorn Schrader, I want to make sure I'm saying it in the exact correct way, with Abramson Architects, yay. Ashley Richardson with EYRC. (laughs) And... Last but not least, Scott Parker with Studio 111. All the good digits. And, you know, for multiple millennia, human beings have made their way from point A to point B. And whether it has been for food, or water, or sex, or work, or companionship, we've gotten from place to place to place to place. And sometimes those places are motivated by culture, sometimes there's an economic motivation, sometimes there's a social motivation, and somewhere in there we discovered work. And so our conversation this afternoon is going to be a little bit about what work is, what work means, how work has changed, a little bit of post-pandemic conversation. And I hesitate when I say post-pandemic because it only means we're pre the next pandemic. Um, And we're gonna talk hybrid and we're gonna talk all kinds of things. So for the next three days, get comfortable because we're gonna have a great conversation. All right, now I am juggling paper (laughs) and a microphone. And the clicker. But let's, uh let's get started. Um, and talk a little bit about the culture of work and we're going to get some perspective from our design experts and we know that these designers represent a multiplicity of clients, different work types, different work styles, different culture, Um, but I'm going to ask Sarah to start us off and talk a little bit about some of the changes that you've noted with your clients. Sure.
2: Hello. Hello. There um, seems to not be a consistency in the office. Uh, Some people are coming in one day a week. Some people are coming in five days a week. Um, It seems to vary, and that's probably going to be the topic going forward, I think. One thing we're seeing is that people are doing short-term leases. They're not doing longer-term leases. Um, They're also spending less money on their spaces. For instance, the photo that you see on the right was a very short-term lease. We did no permits. It was very um, simple. We did a very fun kitchen area. Everything else is furniture. There it goes. So it's really about flexibility and adaptability. Again, adding color and culture, or color to support the culture, and also more of a residential type feel. So people are kind of going from their home to the office and feeling the same. So that blend still yes. matters.
1: Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. exactly. Scott. Thank you.
3: And uh, from obviously from this amazingly colorful space, which is so beautiful, to obviously an architectural office. So the absence of color, no you know, hardest space possible, worst acoustics possible. We're on it. Um, but this is what's, the reason why I'm sharing this, this is our office, is just the difference in how the office, what's changed with the office, pre-pandemic versus today. You know, this was 135 people that was packed to the gills every day until the pandemic, and then we went hybrid. And we had a moment when we're like, well, do we, do we do the Elon Musk, which is never a good idea if you ask yourself that question, And we said, you know what? We're not gonna force everyone back. And if we, on a good day, we have 35 to 50 people of the 135 in the office. So the needs of the office have dramatically changed. The amount of space that we need have dramatically changed. And I have a bunch of other parts of this answer and other questions that I'll save. But just as a preview, like we we just don't use the space in the same way. We don't use as much of the space in the same way, and we're actively struggling with, what do we do with this amazing asset moving forward?
1: And probably, Scott, one of the areas that's seen the most change are conference rooms and meeting rooms. 100%
3: and that's a big part of this is like the need, the technological needs are so much higher than they were before, right? You know, like we have microphones and half the time they work and half the time they don't. Now luckily I teach so I can project this whole room and override that bar if I need to without the mic, but most people can't. Um, And you know, we we run into those kinds of like very simple technical issues. Like, hey, let's put your presentation up on the wall. And we're like, "Uh, where's the cord? Does this work? You know the dumbest things
1: are the hardest things. Oh, I love that. The dumbest things are the hardest things. That's a great quote. Bill, so hybrid's not going away. We're not really going back. There's really no such thing as back to work. So let's talk a little bit about the prevalence of hybrid and what it means for us moving forward. So, I mean, hybrid's here to stay, and I think I think the... uh,
4: Am I on? Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. So, um, you know, hybrid is here to stay. It is both a mode of working style, it's also an operational model. And those two things come together differently for every business. But really, the co-era that began 15, 20, 25 years ago with large organizations building varietal campuses has reached its apex. And everything that we're doing now for every sector of workplace is really about co-era but it's really about leaning into every interior now is a maximum mixed-use environment because variety, engagement, choice, journey become all part of the draw to bring people back to the office and to the workplace, whether it's part-time or full-time. And so when you look at this photograph for a global entertainment client of ours, you can pack up to four choices in less than 600 square feet. And the metrics around that kind of variety in compressed space while trying to have it be branded have it be flexible, allow it to have right to light and daylight penetration as a planning principle are pretty critical to that kind of thinking. And I think this co-era is now at the the head of it. And I think we're going to be seeing this application roll out with more variety in every era of workplace enterprise than we've ever seen before. You know, another thing that we emphasize, and I think we're all seeing this, the importance, particularly post-pandemic, of the relationship between inside and outside. And what you're looking at here is an arrival area in a skyscraper in downtown LA. This arrival area also has a retractable wall and a loggia-type space on the left-hand side of this image. So we're altering the building for a real estate developer to remove a portion of the facade, create an indoor-outdoor loggia terrace in the sky and an arrival area that is shared for both arrival, reception, meeting, gatherings, and events by multiple clients on a floor. So in this particular 4,000 square feet, seven tenants in suites of different sizes on a multi-tenant suite, are able to access the space both spontaneously and through booking. But the real importance is altering the building to bring that connection into an interior space in places and buildings that one, can allow this to happen, because it is a technical challenge, but two, it's also you know something that is costly. But this idea of bringing that experience up into Our cities in downtowns, it's part of a small ingredient of a bigger recipe of what it means to revitalize downtowns and urban buildings and help flip them and convert them not only into possibilities like mixed-use residential, but to make them smarter and harder-working workplaces for a variety of client sizes.
1: And Bill, the out piece. So I live in Chicago. Mm -hmm. We have fewer out days than you Mm -hmm. do here. But what we've certainly seen, there are more walking meetings and people are taking advantages. If there's a plaza, um, people are spending more time outside, particularly when they can. And rooftop gardens are still very much a thing. And in Chicago, we don't mind a little cold or snow. And you just bundle up and layer up a little more and, and work outside.
4: Yeah, I mean, in all fairness, operationally, there is a whole plan around how this can work for a group of tenants that don't have any other reason to have casual collision or serendipitous encounters with each other is in the shared pantry, shared cafe, shared arrival space. It doesn't mean that those individual suites don't have arrival and reception areas of their own. They can opt for that. Or operationally, if you're looking at this as multiple departments for one company, you can have a concierge who monitors the entire floor who also manages this area on behalf of all the residents of the floor. But Cheryl, you speak to serendipitous encounters and casual collision, the kind of things that we want to see increasingly happen so that they're not um, agnostic to workplace at large and only the campuses and companies that have been most progressive. I think everything's moving to be more progressive than ever before.
1: Um, And human beings, as much as we love seeing other human beings, we also like to see the sky. We like Mm -hmm. to see grass. We love to see green and blue. Our brains require it. Our hearts require it. We work harder and think more intently when nature is a part of that process. And so I've got a slide right now talking about biophilic design.
4: And, you know, I think this is a little bit obvious. One of the one of the teams in the Gunzer office downtown designed this co-working space. It's in Koreatown. It's in an upper floor of an older skyscraper building. But you know, literally biophilia in the form of a plant-like element hits you over the head in this space. Not only is it the defining moment, it is the major element. Which it's irrigated. It also requires maintenance, but it takes the place of an architectural element. It brings nature in place of an architectural gesture or move, and it also says something about care, relationship, and one's biophilic experience of plant life. And so, whether you access this not, like the plant on the table in front of us, this is a beautiful thing that you can sit under and experience an entirely different way. And when you bring other types of experiences to this, olfactory, awareness, light levels, and the ability to bring food and beverage into a place like this, you further activate it, by enhancing the architecture without costly architectural elements.
1: And engaging all five, six, seven or eight senses, Mm -hmm. however many we believe there are now. That's critical in this moment.
4: Yeah, and this space can be flexible as this one is designed. I mean, the current photograph shows it in a communal meeting or dining setting, but it functions in many different ways, including a large co-working lounge, a presentation space, an ideation space, and it's also a learning area for this particular organization.
2: Sarah. So the thing that we're finding about people coming into the office is the importance of shared spaces in the office. And those are the spaces that are being utilized the most when people do come in because they're coming in to see their coworkers, to have meetings, conference rooms. So really creating more of these environments where people can either do breakouts or, as you had said about conferencing, is have meetings that you can sit down and and work together and that's really what's bringing people into the office and why people want to come into the office
1: yeah people are coming back to people
2: exactly
3: and also trying to figure out ways to encourage people to come back yeah it's not just to work at your desk anymore because in some ways you can do that more efficiently at home
2: You can, so you have a lot of workstations that are open during the day and a lot of meeting rooms that are packed during the day when people come in.
4: But Sarah, I think your photograph illustrated scale pretty beautifully. I think everyone looks at that image and it looks like the scale of a TV room, a media room or a living room. And so large super lounges often need to be broken down into smaller meeting lounges because they encourage more intimacy and one-on-one or one-to-three-and-four connection.
5: So when when our first clients approached us, like, at the end of the pandemic, like, what does hybrid mean, and and how do you guys approach it, and how do you change architecture, we actually went back and we said, you know what, we actually got to analyze what is a hybrid workday really mean, right? Because most people think hybrid means, oh, I work two days from home and three days in the office or something like this. But when you look at traditionally how we used to work, it used to be like the eight to five day, and then at some point, people wanted to be a little bit more flexible because they said, well, I got appointments at five o'clock at night, so employers were like, okay, well, you can work eight hours a day in the office in between the hours from seven to seven, and that was like the flexible work day. And now we got the hybrid, but what does it really mean? It means more than just being two days at home or three days in the office. Because what you gotta look at, what are those days when you work at home? Because your day at home is completely different than the day at the office. You start working, you wake up, you take your coffee, you take your first meeting, and after two hours, you kind of like feel your energy level dropping or you're just like stressed out a little bit. So you start doing something else. You take a walk with your dog, you meet up with a friend for coffee. So your entire day is completely differently structured. You still work your eight hours, nine hours, but you work them over a time span of like 12, 13, 14 hours because it's stretched out. So the big question becomes, if that is the life that keeps us happy, how do you translate that into the office for the two days that we're in the office? Because right now, we're living this while we're at home. The moment we go into the office, it's still the same as for most people as always. You come there at nine, you leave at five, and you work the eight hours in between. And if you take some time off for lunch, that's about it. But how do you transfer the office space that it could actually accommodate for having that same kind of like experience at the office that we have at home that makes us feel so happy? And I think we'll talk about some of these things a little later.
1: Well, and also your point. So HR directors, the uh, SHRM, which is the Society of Human Resource Management, it's the world's largest organization for HR directors. Um, They're having conversations about that, what we get out of life. We want a little bit of that at work. And so living in a place like Chicago, I hear HR directors talk about employers making it worth the commute. And so people waking up in the morning and making a deliberate choice is what, you know, what I can get there at work worth what it takes me to get there. Um, and so that worth the commute equation.
5: Yeah, and especially, obviously, everyone here in LA knows that, right? Yeah, I mean, you guys you're, know You're commuting it. <laughs> one to two hours every day, so there's a lot of work that you could technically get done. So how do we even shift that commute and don't commute when everyone else is commuting?
1: Um, Scott, (laughs) will there always be an office?
3: I think think so, but I don't think it'll be the office we have today. So obviously this is Jacques Tati's playtime. This is sort of the classic cubicles. It's obviously a farce about office life. Um, No one works this horribly, but... Somehow I think this is a real opportunity to change the office. So there's all these moments where there's technological change that changes the office, there's managerial ideas that change the office, and then we had a pandemic that changed the office. And there's a real divide that I see with clients where there are some clients who have embraced this and they want to completely do the work day in a totally new way. How do we transform our work day? How do we transform our work culture into something we've never seen before? almost like inspired by the constructivists, like looking at life, work, how do we come together as a party, you know, these all these sorts of ideals that all fell apart, but amazing ideals, these moments. And we're at that kind of a moment where we can really grasp this and completely change how we work. So we don't have the normal day. And one part of that is a very simple old idea, is this idea, this is obviously Bob Venturi's I Am a Monument, and it's really, if you go to the next slide, this is really what we're seeing with a couple of our clients. So, you know, Oprah Winfrey's own network on the left, that's our pro- one of our projects, and then Laserfish on the right. And in each case, in, in many ways, the building's immaterial. It's about the sign. Like, Oprah wants her sign to be seen from Sunset Boulevard. And Laserfish wanted 450,000 people driving down the 405 freeway to see their sign. That's why the building's that big. That's why it's 60 feet tall. And that's why it's in that location and why they bought that site. It just so happens to have 100,000 square feet of mostly unused space now. But, um, but that's what they wanted. They wanted that sign. So in, in many ways, it was the image of an office, not the actual usability and work life of the office that was most important. And I think that's actually both disgusting and really amazing. Yeah. It's a really interesting opportunity to what then do you do with these bajillions of square feet. How do we take advantage of that in a new way?
1: Yeah, because there really is an antiquated idea of what office means physically as opposed to what it means emotionally. Phil, I think you were gonna say something.
4: I think the the analogy you just made about the brand on the building is a good one because it represents something that I think of that we are all struggling to achieve with our clients and that is a sense of affiliation. And an affiliation is emotionally based It's Mm purpose-based, it's lifestyle-based, and it leans into how the work that needs to get done wants to be done. And so if you think about the signage on a building and you drive by and you feel a sense of identity with it, we have to dig much deeper, and we are digging much deeper to get at that. And I think affiliation represents the emotion that a lot of people have become accustomed as the normalcy of work that we don't want to give up that we experienced when we did have positive experiences
2: working from home.
1: Sarah, I'm going to ask you the same question. This thing called the office, is it always going to exist?
2: I think something you hit the nail on the head. It is going to exist from an identity perspective. You know, companies, that's how they actually portray their brand, where their identity comes from. They have something other than someone's home that you can go to. And I think that for that very reason, we will have an office of some sort. It will change. It will probably be smaller, and it may end up looking like this. It's just you know a table that people can all gather and come and go all day long. Um, but it is there will be something. It's just a matter of where we're in the in- yeah. inception of what that's going to be and where it's going. So.
1: All right, you heard it here. There will always be a place to work. We might not call it an office. Um, I'm game for a game where we get to rename it too. <laughs> all right um we're going to talk a little bit about why work and work why bjorn
5: yeah so i mean the office space has always been like a space especially at the beginning of the pandemic people were talking about what health impact does a pandemic have right and everyone started storming into oh we're going to put more filters in our HVAC systems and we're going to like have like all sorts the soaps everywhere and, and people have to go from a to b and it was all laid out and all crazy and it was all about the, the physical well-being. But, but kind of like i forgotten about it is actually the mental well-being in a space. And, I mean, Bill mentioned this earlier, biophilia is really important in space. It's natural light. So you really got to make sure that when you are in your workspace, you actually have these emotions triggered by your, by your surrounding. We as architects, I mean, you, you would see a picture of my office. It's all black and white. There's no other color. We love it. But that's actually colors that are not really good for people to live in and stay in. Um, There's tons of studies out there, especially in the medical field. There's certain colors, certain patterns that actually trigger emotional behavior inside a human being. So it's really important that when we design it, we actually take that into space. And uh, we'll go to the next picture maybe. Um, Sunlight, one of the most important things. We live in Southern California, but there's other places like Chicago. There is not that much sunlight. This project actually was in Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon doesn't have much sun. They have a lot of rain, So we we created spaces. We're literally just like tiny little breakout spaces for people to just leave their desk, go out there, huge window openings. Really a space that you can see, you can't even work there, even if you want to try to work there. So you're kind of like forcing people to take this break away at work which is kind of like what I spoke earlier to, like when you're at home, you're taking this break automatically, but when you're sitting at your desk, it's really hard to take that break. So it's important for the space that you're working in to provide these spaces where you can actually take that in.
1: Yeah, I love that you're <clears throat> that you're prescribing vitamin D with no copay.
5: With no copay, with no paper. <laughs> um, as we spoke earlier, different types of spaces make people feel welcome in, in the office space. And, And allow for all these different types of like engagements. It's like really really important Mm -hmm. That was actually a fun concept um, because we we wanted to take biophilia into into different Sense of what it can mean right because sometimes you have office buildings that have like plates that are hundred feet deep You can't really put plants in the middle. They're all gonna die. I tried it. That's how I know Um, so there are studies about what biophilia actually is and, and how it can be transferred into different types of forms as well. So, the way how a leaf grows is a very natural way. And if you look at the leaf and how the different textures on the leaf come about, that's part of biophilia. There's actually it's been studies out there. If you start making the human body move along these paths versus straight rectangular, it actually feels better for you to move along those ways. So on this project, we tried to really implement that into like the way how the project laid out and, and created corridors. And the funny part is you, you kind of like went back and you interviewing people and they're first like, yeah, we love the space, but it's so weird. We never walk straight. we constantly going back and forth, but they all felt so much happier than the space that they were in before. So I think there's some sort of proof that it actually helps you. Human bodies are not straight. We as architects, we love our straight lines, but the human body is very organic and I think we need to bring that back into the architecture and the way how we live as well.
1: Yeah. And given that um, organic piece, as human beings, there are things that we crave. We crave culture. We crave sense of place. We crave belonging. So can you talk a little bit about um, those factors and the fact that, you know, there are employers who are are using FOMO? Um, We're enticing people to come back to work.
3: Absolutely. So this ties into everything we've been talking about is, like, we've been using our office as a case study. You know, I alluded to the fact that we, uh, we have a space for 135 people. If we get 35, we've done a really great job that day. And so what we've done is we started transforming the office. It's not our office anymore. We have co-tenancies with nonprofits, with graphic designers. We have an artist in residence program. We've created all these things that are around design, but not necessarily architecture or interiors or landscape or urban design. They're all those things coming together. So whether it's a fundraiser for a senatorial campaign or it's our artists doing something with, you know, like bringing the community together. um, We have, you know, spaces we give out to the community so they can use our space and use our infrastructure to do their, you know, their board meetings, you know, for the local art museum, as an example. So we call it the urban lab. So we suddenly we have, like, Exhibits going on. We have retailers. If you go to the next slide, you can see images of some of the piece, things that we've done. That's our artists in residence on the bottom left, for example. That's one of the fundraising or the urban events on, on the right. And then upper left was a local food, you know, how to cook, health, eat healthy, grow your own food kind of a thing. It's that kind of thing is that's the part that you can't get at home right? Yeah. You, you can't do this at home. I can work. I can collaborate with people. We actually get more done. <laughs> you know, you get them on a Teams call. We can get everyone together. Everyone's focused for five minutes, quick huddle, get everyone out. We'll come back together in three hours. That part actually works better because I'm not getting interrupted all the time so I can focus. But what I can't do is this. I can't create a culture for the office right? Yeah, well, I can't get everyone together and go, why are you at studio? Why wouldn't I just go to Gensler? They do amazing work or Abramson or EYRC. Like all these people do extraordinary work. If it was just about the work, they could go anywhere. But the fact that we've created a place that brings all these different cultural touch points together in one space means we, we have a high retention because of that. And we don't have to force people to come back. You know, obviously, it's not everybody. Uh, but we, we get a lot of people who do want to come back, and they do come out for these events. When we have one of these events, you know, our part of the studio, Studio 11, is 50 people. We'll get 40 of those people uh, for something like that event on the top left.
2: And it's, that's really critical. That's, I think that's the change. change that we need to teach and go out in the community so our clients understand it's going to be better if it can be a lab, if it can be a maker space, if it can be adaptable, that it it should not be this fixed solution and that you should, it's going to evolve over time. And to be able to evolve with it and support that is going to be more important. And that's the challenge for us is to train and teach our clients that this is the new way of thinking. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm
4: -hmm. I think one of the key points that you just made is about content, and I guess I'm not too upset about the recent news around WeWork in the last couple of months around bankruptcy or not, but let's face it, what WeWork did do 15 years ago was deliver a space with a program of content that contributed to a culture, to a group of people that were largely unknown to each other. And I think the challenge we all face that we're now enacting and facilitating in our own offices and studios is raising the bar on content that is most meaningful to our staff and not necessarily limited to celebrations, wins, birthdays, and baby showers. And I think curated content plays a bigger role in the workplace going forward, but it's not Endless. I think there is a way to focus on it. We had surveys in our own office that helped us understand the kinds of things that might not only draw people in but cause people to linger. Mm-hmm. Linger enough with thinking around their rush hour commute and other activities and ways of getting work done and relating to people that made those deliberate days of attendance that much more impactful. Yeah. And I think content is a real key thing that we need to be tracking going forward. Yeah. It's a theme.
1: Yeah, I love that idea that your office is working harder than it ever worked before, um, but it's working better. Like that idea of having an artist in residence, I'm hearing other employers talk about a poet in residence. There are a few folks who have a mixologist in residence, a storyteller in residence. Yeah, I know, sign me up for the mixologist. Um, But a storyteller in residence, and and Bill, your point about... You know what keeps us alive and what keeps us interested our ancestors were hunter gatherers of mostly food to keep them alive we are hunter gatherers of information content that keep you know it keeps our brains invigorated it keeps us younger it keeps us more vital it's putting another and a different level of expectation on what we have always called the office
3: Absolutely. And, and it's funny, it's like even like Autodesk is talking about their hybrid first and they only come together if they need to. So there are things where you have to come together. Yeah. Like we have kickoffs for a kickoff project. We want everyone who's on the team in the office, we kick off together so we can sketch. You know, We all remember sketching around the table. We have plenty of people in the office in the pandemic who I never met in person for a year and a half. We collaborated, but we never sketched around the table. And that, that was a loss. So yeah. we've been able to bring that back, but we're also not like, well, you're here, so get to work, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of mm-hmm. thing. So that, it's a big difference. Yeah,
1: yeah. Thank you for that. Bill, let's talk about, so as we are in the office, let's talk about density and occupancy and where you're seeing some changes. Sure, I'm going to
4: use Gensler's own example in downtown LA. I've been allowed to talk a little bit about the transformation that we're going through on our campus in downtown. We're in two buildings, City National Plaza, two floors in the North Tower, the Cube as it's known as the jewel box itself. We've just renovated one-fifth of our space for three studios to relocate back into who lived in swing space for almost seven months. The studio that I'm a part of, with Barbara Dunn, who's here in the audience at Work One, we're one of those beta testing groups. The real messages here were: Gensler's committed to downtown. We renewed our lease without reducing our square footage occupancy, but we needed to make the space harder working. I'm not going to go through all the details of this slide, but. As expert and knowledgeable as we are on cultural workplace design throughout the world, when we came back from the pandemic and we talked about the draw that the space needed to become once it was safe to have prolonged periods of time inside an office building, we didn't know anything about our own client, which was ourselves. And so the opportunity to walk the talk and apply the tools of strategy, discovery, visioning, survey, we listened to our staff for 12 months and documented the findings, the conversations, and the surveys. And it became the design brief that led us to start the planning studies for a new beta site. One of our key findings was prior to the pandemic, 65 to 70% of our staff were in the office four days a week, but never five days a week. In addition to that, people were always out of the office, but we had never tracked it. So for the first time, we're walking the talk in the LA office, we're updating our facility and our infrastructure, our studios, to tell a story like the one that we recommend our clients go through in order to get to the best culture and physical representation of it for their enterprises. And I think the interesting thing about all of this, in this particular slide, one of our findings, where can I have a work lounge that reminds me of those alternative settings I had at home? Well, this is one of our many super lounges. But in the forefront is the banquette, not unlike in the kitchen. In the back left corner it's a communal dining area and on the right hand side that living room setting is like the media TV wall. Now you can reconfigure and set this room up. You can book it, you can book it with food and beverage. We do client presentations with 50 lineal feet of materials in this room. The point was to make spaces that leaned in to the scale, intimacy, emotion and proportion of what it was to like at home in a comfortable manner. We are unassigned for the first time in our downtown campus with a technology app that allows us to book seats and move ourselves around with the teams and the assignments we receive, but it tracks our movement and makes suggestions in the near future about where we might want to sit. So it's a helpful aid. For everyone in this room that's doing TI, building repositioning or base building, this is a great story about second generation space. And for Gensler Downtown, we've got two vintages, 2012 and 2016, and now in 2023, we've got the third iteration, vintage of our outlook. We are walking this through because the goal for many of our clients right now is reducing their footprint and what to do with their occupancies. Our message is this, you do not have to completely gut-renovate your existing occupancy. Perhaps the best solution is dropping in co-working-oriented areas that lean into what you needed to be for part of it. And for those clients that are lucky enough to recast the hierarchy, planning, design, and construction, and build all new space, they're building it much more varietal, but they're touring our space to understand what we went through, to find out which piece of that applied to their process, their attitudes about physical space, and how to help them build efficiently.
1: And Bill, there's a newer, um, a change-shifted attitude around um, intimacy and Mm -hmm. proximity. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. The spaces are more intimate. They're not vast Mm -hmm. and cavernous. Mm -hmm.
4: Exactly. And I think you also have to be very sensitive uh, to proximity bias. You cannot make the assumption that because you speak loudly, you're an extrovert, that you're always going to want to sit in the middle or be the person that wraps the team around them. So we went from having... Under 20 different types of work seats in our previous existence to having over 38. And of that 38, there are four variations of each type. So now we were able to offer people up to 45 different work seats in three studios. We're now doing the findings and the surveys and the results from our inputs about this and we're modifying phases two and three as we roll this forward. But the goal is by 2025, Gensler in the Los Angeles practice in the Southwest region will have an office that represents attitudes and working styles that are on par with the times for the first time in a number of years. And we feel very lucky and grateful to be able to pay that forward to the community and our clients.
1: Thank you. Sarah.
2: So this is, um, we've had several clients that have come to us and said, they want a space where you walk in and it's like coming into the kitchen. That's where you see everybody in the morning, you touch space, you could work there. It's an all-hand space, a variety of different types of uses. Um, that feels very familial. Um, this has got the, the space store pieces that are flexible. You can move those around. Um, it gives you a lot, of, a, lo- a lot of different ways to utilize the space. So really, it's about flexibility and adaptability. Um, And creating those kind of home-like features and architectural items that provides that content for the, for the firm.
1: And it's not stark or spare or anonymous. There's personality. It acknowledges that human beings work in this place.
5: So yeah, um, it, exactly what my fellow panelists here said earlier, it's really about creating like, these different spaces and making sure that everyone has their own kind of like environment that they, they look like. It's an it's experience-based environment, right? What do we experience at home? We want to have the same experience in the office, which is really important. Um, with little side story, like we started building out our new office literally at the first day of the pandemic, um, had no idea what we were getting into, so typical architectural firm, we build it out like everyone built it out before. Pandemic started, which actually I think accelerated technology. Um, no one ever was imagining that we'd be like sitting in front of our computers and have every single one of our meetings on the computer. That wasn't the days before. No, you come into an office and you have everyone sitting there and they're all at the same time on their computer having meetings, which gets really distracting. So this is really the point where we see the space needs to be adaptable. We need to adapt to these spaces. Just the other day, I was sitting in, in my office on a call and the girl in front of me, she turns around and she's like, can you be a little bit quieter? I'm on a call. And I was like, I, I'm on a call as well. And sometimes you're even on the same call, which is even weirder. <laughs> so I think this is where it really becomes important that we, we change our spaces up. We provide these subspaces. And there's just like multiple different, we went through this um, study uh, about a year ago for a client, um, they really wanted to look at what are the new spaces, right? What is the new space that we need to create? And, and this is like this environmentally based and emotionally based design that we really need to dial into. And how can I have a meeting? I don't need to have my meeting on a desk because it is like this just team space, Zoom space, whatever we're using out there meeting. I can sit on a couch like I'm sitting right now and can have exactly the same meeting but I feel more comfortable than sitting on my desk. Then there might be a meeting where I do want to write down things, I do want to sketch, so I do need to uh, have the desk. So I really got to explore all these different options, and I got to make sure that my future office space will actually provide all of these different options.
1: All right, Ashley, we need to hear from you. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you to, so every single one of the panelists, have they've used the word flexible or flexibility. Can you myth bust around flexibility? Because sometimes people think flexibility they might think it means less permanent so can you address that
6: yeah so this is our office in culver city Um, we've been there for quite some time almost 20 years and we've been able to use it really as a lab to touch on what everyone else has spoken about but what why do we need to come into the office what's really important and one thing that we've actually found that we need to focus more on we're all architects and designers but it's actually about communication so we found the challenges of communicating, like Bjorn to your example where you're on a hybrid meeting. That's maybe the worst case scenario. You're both on the same meeting, you're not in the same room, the mics don't work, the technology doesn't work. So it's when do you have the times to come together, you know, to to, to meet face-to-face, and then we've also found that when we do come together, people don't really know how to speak to each other comfortably, and we have to tell people, you know, come up to the front of the room when you're speaking to each other. How do we practice presentations? How do we engage with our clients? So it's about the physical design of the space, but it yes, we want flexibility. I think we've always... Um, Enjoyed spaces that can have sort of the comfort of home, but how do we communicate in a new way when we're in the office, when we're in a hybrid scenario? And so we've actually, you know, we use our office as, as sort of this lab that indoor outdoor connection, a simple roll up garage door, how you can, you know, leverage being adjacent to the outdoors and look at the sky but how do you communicate in a way that people can hear each other and work together in all these different forms? So I think the office has to work harder, and in some ways, we have to work harder to communicate better. So that's that's just something I'm, we're all talking so much about, the space, and that's critical, but it's also how do we engage, you know, human to human. Um, and so that's something we're working on now. It's not just about the physical space. And that
1: flexibility and diversity in the space, but also you were... You are, edging into also a conversation about neurodiversity and recognizing that we all exist differently in space as well.
6: Yeah, we do. So, Bill, you were talking about the different um, opportunities for seating, and I think one thing we have all found on Zoom is that it was sort of this great equalizer where it wasn't the tallest person in the room or the loudest person in the room or maybe the person who um, you know, it sort of gave everyone a voice, and now we're finding with meeting fatigue, do we all need to have a voice in the meeting? So it's just about being a little bit more strategic how we communicate and, and how we use space and, and make it more inclusive for all in that process. So that was a wide range of things, but I think we're finding it to go so much beyond our physical space and how we communicate with each other.
1: Ashley, I'm smiling because when you said, do we all need to have a voice? I think every single one of us thought about that one person that we yeah. work with that maybe doesn't always have to have that voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scott. That, that
3: no, no, I, I think permanence. I should have a voice.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> Flexibility, permanence.
3: What, I, I actually think that this is, um,
1: can you go to the next slide? Yep. There it is. There you go. Um,
3: I think it's actually, this goes back to an earlier point I was trying to make about this, open, this opportunity that as, as office buildings get built and don't get occupied, as, as, build, as offices shrink and space becomes available, you end up with this sort of universal space that Mies talked about. And, you know, you know not REM cool house, but the earlier cool house used to talk about in, in Northern Europe, with this idea that it's this open volume that could be anything. Like our office has been a real done a number of projects where we're converting office into housing. This is a big market that's growing because of the pandemic. And, you know, it's just that stuff's not going back. And what other opportunities are there? And like, this is me putting a museum inside a factory. You know, that, I'm fascinated by those kinds of things. Like, as designers, how can we promote, you know, provoke our clients to think, about this, this, these inherent spaces that are sitting there and take advantage of it. You know, don't tear them down. Reposition them as something new and unique. You know, like what are all the amazing things that could happen? Like, I've been rereading um, Rem Koolhouse's Delirious New York. You think of the Downtown Athletic Club as an example in that book where every floor of the Downtown Athletic Club was a completely different program. So you've got, you know, workout spaces. You've got lockers. You've got a forest. You've got a golf course. Like those kinds of surrealist program mix could be extraordinary in some of these downtowns. The way you guys were opening the exterior. Like, what if that was like a movie theater inside that opened up and it's not an office building? You know, those kinds of things. I know we're running out of time, so I'll stop. So,
1: this work life, home life, life life, really kind of this blurriness that we are um, experiencing. You know, it's that mashup of um, residential and commercial and healthcare and hospitality. Um, The typologies, the disciplines that we've always talked about are inherently blended. We are blending our, our work lives and our life lives. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Kind of that that blurriness and um, the work that you're doing, and I think Ashley, you're gonna we are gonna talk about some blur.
6: Yeah. So this is actually a student housing project, and I always think if you start out your student housing experience with this view, what an amazing. I mean, what where where to go from here? But I think what's important. So we're talking about offices but but it's really all life and i right. think that's the point i guess where how do we bring our whole selves to be at work how i love the diagram you shared of like the way the workday works differently when you're at home and so these are just a few examples of where we're bringing here the focus might be about about studying so here you're learning to work you're learning to work in a place where you're actually living to me that that living learning neighborhood approach to Students is such a I, I think it 'll be so amazing to see how if you if you live in a place like this as a student where it 's really all integrated, what kind of ideas do you then bring into the workplace when, and, when expectations. and your expectations and your and again your ability to communicate so those large spaces how do you make them more intimate smaller scale? This is a student housing lobby but it has offices, it has sort of hoteling offices. So we're bringing the office ideas into the student life and I think it, it does just become this more seamless blur and it's really an opportunity where there's opportunity for design and collaboration everywhere.
3: And this is our office, this is a couple images. One here where, how do we integrate work from home into apartments? So you've got your flat and you know, your your partner is in one part of the office and they're working, you're in a different part of it and you're working, how, how do you work together? So ways that we can use reuse dining spaces, create study spaces that use acoustics to isolate you so when you're on a call, you're not hearing someone else's call, um, which everyone fights at the office about. And then on the other one, it's also this idea of adding in, in the next image, adding in workspaces. So some of these are probably your work uh, on this panel, uh, but, the idea of integrating co-working into the apartment so that you, that's one of the things that we're really seeing in multifamily is rather than the fitness or the gym, it's great co-working spaces that everyone who lives in the apartment gets to use. Perfect.
1: And, because we are at a design fair, and as you were walking through, you're, you're seeing a lot of, you know, the disciplines and the typologies we were talking about. Phil, um, I'd love to get some
4: from you. Sure. I mean, we can all relate to this slide, so this is on behalf of the, the panel that's here. But really, the point is about learning and awareness, and being at an event like this is that for anyone in the room, regardless of age, level of expertise, and what your connection is to space and built space environment, I think the whole point here is about getting out there, being a part of the world, seeing beyond your world and nonstop event going, particularly industry events like this that focus on things, because the littlest findings become magnified into the biggest trend, influence, or element that you find yourself talking to people about, speaking with clients about, and end up expressing in a project. Sarah?
2: I think it's also just finding that inspiration that helps support the content. So new textures, new ideas, new things. Also bringing in artisans and really incorporating that so they're part of our process, um, which really broadens everything. So the office is much more like your living room.
4: But I I think the vibe there, Sarah, I think this is very current, right? A bohemian look as a way of relating to space because it also has a certain vibe and youthfulness that speaks to multi-generations, whether you have a nostalgic feeling about it or it reminds you of the first apartment that you've stepped into as a young professional.
2: Yeah.
1: Or there's also that moment where it's the best place you've never lived, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's yeah. the, the nostalgia side of Why it. Why you want to then- go to the office. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
6: Yeah, I love Ashley. that. This is just also reiterating the point where it, this is uh, for multi filmy housing. And just as you said, the amenities are really it, everyone wants to be in the coffee shop or a library and being able to connect. And so how do you just work across scales, be it inside your home to the lobby of a building, be it an office or a student housing project? It's about those places for community and how do you bring materiality, daylight, you know, sunlight, mm-hmm. um, in, in, and just create these spaces where we can connect together um, and, and really blur those lines.
1: In our last couple slides, we are um, Moving through it with time, we've got some advice and some inspiration. Yeah.
3: So the initial question was, what, what, would, what would you say to younger people starting in the profession? And I always like to use this example as a teacher of Frank Gehry. Frank used to talk about like, this image of being a child and he's in the bath and they have the fish for the evening, the fish is alive, they throw the fish in the bathtub with Frank and he plays with the fish as a child. And it became a obset- sort of private obsession until he's building fish at full scale. And it tra- completely transformed his work, both the way he would work as a placeholder, putting a fish of as, I'm gonna come back to that, but it's gonna be sculptural. And to this case where he in start, he found the Katia work system. You know, he reached out to aerospace, like I gotta build this thing at scale, I can't do it with AutoCAD, I can't do it, Revit didn't exist, you couldn't do it in Revit anyway. Um, how in the world do I do it? I need to go to aerospace industry. So it changed everything about both how he worked, which is I think for young people, what's your personal obsession? How do you turn that into a point of view as a designer? And then finally, what inspires me to in the future? I'm actually really inspired by the young people in the office and my son as, as an example, where you know, like young people in the office are much more like, I want a strong work-life balance. Like, I've worked at firms where I was 20-hour days, six-day weeks, that was the norm, and I was still not the hardest working person in the office, even with that work, work ethic and getting chastised. Why didn't you come in on Sunday, um, kind of thing, and they're just not taking that. Now, obviously, there's organized labor trying to get uh, uh, a foothold, and then people like my son who are looking at, like, hey, I'll never own a home, I'm kind of giving up on late capitalism. I'm, why can't we have... What Northern Europe has? Why, why can't I get a house? Why can't I get an education? And thankfully, we can provide for that one. But you know, he has lots of friends who are incredibly educated, but they just don't have the wherewithal. And if they were in Northern Europe, they wouldn't have to. Um, and there, I see that movement with his friends where they're like, "No, we should have that. There's no reason we can't." You know, I saw a great Instagram post, yeah. which was it said, um, "You know, universal health care is so complicated." then only 32 of 33 uh, countries can figure it out. We were the only one who can't.
1: Yeah, Yeah. so true. Let me ask each of the other panelists, you have your choice. Either tell us what you're excited and optimistic about or, or inspires you, or what advice would you have for the audience? Bill, I'm looking right at you. That's what you get for sitting right to the left of me. Right, right. to the left. Um,
4: I think the most important thing about post-pandemic is the the rise and the dominance of lifestyle. And that lifestyle as an influencer is going to inform everything we do, including the future of workplace. And everything that the pandemic ripped the Band-Aid off of and made agnostic and acceptable in the post-pandemic world, I see as a huge liberation for not only the workplace, but for other project types and areas as well. My best advice to anybody in the group, whether you're in design or architecture or not, is, is know clearly to yourself what your point of view about life is. And once you know what that POV is and people ask you for that analogy and that acronym, uh, it will guide everything going forward. But for creatives, a POV is a starting point and it's mutatable and it changes over time and it's the best thing that can happen to you in the course of your life.
1: Thank you for that. Sarah?
2: Okay. I'm going to take on the advice. Um, Take mentorship seriously. It's super important, particularly for the design profession and learning. You need to to provide mentorship, and you need to receive mentorship. It's very important. And I think the other thing is no one knows everything. I learn something new every day. And to keep on and continue to learn, as a young individual, ask questions. Ask questions. It's super important. You know, no one knows everything. So just remember that, and that's how you'll continue to grow.
5: Yeah, I think the no one knows everything is, like, really important. Um, Because when I'm really looking, what I'm really excited for and what I think will change everything is is actually the future. When we look back, how architecture has developed, how society has developed, my kids, they don't know cassettes anymore. They're like, what is that? Um, They they hardly know what a pencil looks like anymore because everything is done on a computer, right? Um, They don't know a life before the iPhone. When we look at our life back back in the days and we were trying to meet up, you made sure that you were, you said like you're going to be there at 2.15. You made sure you'd be there at 2.15 because you couldn't call anyone. It's like you didn't have to change for the, for, for the phone or anything. Technology has advanced so quickly over the last couple of years. And we've just seen it since the beginning of the year with AI coming in. And yes, there's all these things out there. that's scary and we don't really know how to deal with it yet. But I think the exciting part is we got to embrace it all. The pandemic really helped us to rethink what human life is and how we have to adapt to it. And I think the human body and, and the humankind can so rapidly adapt to all of these changes as long as we embrace it. We can't be sitting there and right now say, for example, AI is the worst thing ever and let's try to block it. We got to find ways how to embrace it and how to make it work for us. So open, being open-minded and, and being open for that mentorship, no matter who it comes for. Because for me, it is like, I'm learning from my kids. They're 12 and 16 years old. They teach me more than what I learn in the office every day. So I think that's the really important part.
6: Yeah, that's good. Ashley. Uh, my only advice would be to, I I'm see it's about that communication and just knowing who you are, embrace your authenticity and bring that forward into every event, every um, opportunity you have to connect with others. I feel like this profession was sort of one way for so long, and we really need everyone's voice and opinions, ideas, and we need people to be able to be their true selves so they can um, contribute, contribute to what we're doing in this profession in design, um, and that there's really room for everybody. So be authentic.
1: Perfect. Oh, that's the curiosity, authenticity, humanity, hum- being humane, and optimism. We are all so fortunate and blessed to be a part of a profession that is regarded as one of the most optimistic professions. And it's because we believe in people, we create for people, we support humanity. Are you laughing at me? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm wrapping up here. <laughs> um, And I think it is important for all all of us to live thoughtfully, live gracefully. And I will leave everyone with a word of advice um, from my great-grandmother who said it is all of our, it's our duty and obligation as human beings to be good ancestors. Um, And by crafting and creating a better world, we are already being good ancestors. Thank you all so much for your time, for your attention.